Hello everyone, I am Samori, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. In this week's It Takes a Village, we're going to find out how Jason's family vacation went. Then Hudson's going to talk about hitting the big 4-0 and what's new in your world. We'll also tell you about Sam and Sam Travel, our Black Business of the Week. For the main topic, we want to dive in on black men such as 50 Cent, referring to black women as angry and unattractive. Remember that you can see this and other videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family, as well as send us a message at info at SJHmancave.com. As a final disclaimer, please note, we are all Black fathers who sometimes are taking care of our children while recording. You might randomly hear a small child yelling out while we are talking. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. Hudson, you want to go ahead and kick us off? My oldest will not play in her room. And I don't know how y'all had it growing up. Me, me and my wife, we, we didn't really have the, the luxuries that we've afforded our children. As small as those luxuries are, we didn't have those luxuries of being able to just play on our own. Even though I had a room, you know, my dad would come barreling through that room every every two minutes to talk to me about something going on in the world, you know, something I didn't care about. And for my wife, she didn't have the luxury of that either. So it's like we were able to get that luxury for her and she will not go in there. So now it's really affects us because we have the youngest now and she's only one. So now she she can't have all these small toys that my oldest can have, right? So now my oldest wants to come out, play with all these toys and got all these little bits and parts to it. And my youngest just wants to come along, grab them and swallow them up. So I'm trying to get it to a point. You got your own room and and you have it for a reason so that you can play with those small items. You know how kids can be. They want to be with the entire family. And I get it. And I love that. I think children have to learn how to get their imagination going and play by themselves sometimes. That You're not always going to have people around. You just need to learn how to play with yourself and pretend like you're in a castle or or set up a fort or, or do whatever. So, I mean, that's what's been going on in my week. <laughs> Simone doesn't like to be separated, period. And it's nearly impossible to get her to play by herself in an area for any particular extended period of time. Even if I'm all the way in the back and I turn on the TV in the front and have her cartoons and stuff playing, she'll every three to four minutes run to the back and check in. Like she needs to know that there's somebody there. She can't just be off on her own. In order for to get her to play in her room by herself, I would have to just sit there <laughs> while she's playing around with her toys. And if I was there, she'll stay there. If she knows, oh, okay, this is the anchor where we're going to be, she has no problems hanging around you no matter where you are. But she, I don't know what it is, but she does not like being on herself. And heaven forbid if she's looking for you and she can't find you. Those screams will start coming out in second. You know what's crazy? You know what's crazy? Is that they'll be playing by themselves until they notice you're gone. Like, it'll take a minute for them to notice. Then they'll look around, 
Oh, I, I guess we're not playing in here anymore. Let, let's go see where we're playing. Oh, the bathroom? Let's go ahead. Hey, hey, why do you got the door closed? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I should probably relish these moments because just like that, she'll reach an age where she's not interested in hanging around me anymore anyway. <laughs> I know for, for me and whatnot with Jada, Jada was like the easiest kid in the world. She was she she was so independent. By the time she was three or four years old, I could lay on the couch and just tell her, baby, I'm about to take a nap. And she say, okay. And I don't have to worry about her while I'm sleeping. She'd come and wake me up and be like, daddy, I'm making me a peanut butter jelly sandwich. And I'm like, oh, shoot, well, make me one too. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's awesome. so what my mother likes to tell me is, is I didn't have my first kid when Jada was born. If I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching TV, she's sitting next to me, but she'd be quiet as a lark. Like she wouldn't be climbing all over me or anything like that. She literally be like, daddy, turn on like Sesame Street or something like that. And I'd be like, okay, well you can watch Sesame Street for an hour. And then daddy got to watch law and order for a minute. And it, she, even she knew that the bung bung anytime it come on, that's what she would do. <laughs> <laughs> so you watch Law and Order. Hey, she 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 used to hang Law out with me. That's what order. we did. We sat on the couch. I got she got her hour TV. I got my hour TV. We had to share. Her going into a room. Plus, <laughs> hold on, hold on, Law and Order. Hold on, wait a minute. Damn. Wait a minute, Law and Order. It, isn't there a dead well, body? I mean, that we watched SVU or whatnot, so, you know, there were no dead bodies. It was usually a rape victim. Oh, that's better, a rape body. What, oh, okay, what, that's better. What does a three- or four-year-old know about what a rape victim is going through? She don't know nothing. She just knows the bung-bung. That's all she care about. She's going to be sitting around with her friends, and they going to be like, man, what shows y'all grew up on? One of her friends is going to be like Sesame Street. Another's going to be Lamb's Chops Play Along or Barney. They going to get to her and ask her, so what you grew up on? She's going to be like, oh, Law and Order. I used to watch them kill people and solve the killings. <laughs> hey, look here. When they ask my daughter that they go, she gonna have a lot of ass. She gonna say Doc McStuffins. She gonna say she gonna say uh 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 what's the pig's name? Uh, the, she gonna be kicking it with Pepper Pig. She kicked it with Pepper Pig, and then she gonna be like Lord on SVU. That's just what it is. Anyway, <laughs> y'all just wanna sit here and judge me on what I watch with my back. <laughs> All, all I just heard y'all talk about doing is kicking them into their room and whatnot by this stuff. Boy, man, use your imagination. Get away from me. <laughs> At least I was with my baby. <laughs> so what's been on my mind recently? My father is a firearm instructor. I did the second part of my concealed carry license class with him. And it made me think about at what age should I introduce Simone to gun? Now, even though my father has always been very comfortable with guns, he did not introduce my brothers and I to guns when we were kids. And his reasoning for that is that it was very important to him that we did not believe guns are toys. And of course, we were raised in the uh, black community and we were raised around a lot of people who were using guns for terrible purposes. And he was afraid that if he started teaching us and giving us what, what he knows and making us comfortable around guns, it would turn into a situation where we would get involved with things that we shouldn't get involved with. 
And so he decided to just cut it off completely. So I couldn't, I never had BB guns. I never even had toy guns when I was a kid. And so now I'm a father. I am a little sensitive to the fact that I'm now 35 and I don't have a comfort around guns at all, to be honest with you. It's one of the things that I want to try to develop and learn more because I do believe as a black man that I should be comfortable with firearms. And the fact that I'm going through this now at a much older age makes me think about what is right for Simone, because I want Simone to be very comfortable doing whatever she has to, to defend herself. And I know she's oftentimes going to be in situations where, you know, she might only be able to depend upon herself for her own defense. And I want to make sure as a father, I'm preparing her to be able to deal with those situations. And during the class that we had, one of the brothers mentioned, you know, down in Georgia, they're much more comfortable with guns. And he introduced all of his daughters to guns when they were about nine, 10 years old. And by the time they became adults, they already had a real comfort level with firearms. And he felt like it made them significantly more prepared to be able to deal with any particular issues that might come up. And so I have, I can't say that I've really come to an answer about this yet, but I do know as a father, I want to make sure that my child is comfortable with firearms, recognizes their place, puts them in their proper perspective. Like my father, I definitely don't want her to consider them toys, but at the same time, I don't want her to be scared to use it if the situation arises where that is what needs to happen. You can always put your daughter down and watch Law and Order like Jason uh, watches. <laughs> <laughs> See, honey, this is how they... <laughs> See how they pull the weapon out when the suspect is running away? <laughs> first That's of all, how you do it. <laughs> first of all, at least ain't no accidental shootings and whatnot on Law and Order. So you see proper police procedure and whatnot on Law and Order. Facts. Okay. I ain't, I ain't seen a bad cop on Law and Order yet. <laughs> I ain't seen no bad apples. Nah, how about that? I Look, agree 100%. you know, on on a <laughs> on a, a serious opener. note, <laughs> on a serious note, I think each child is different. I would say I would say you just have to consider teaching them when you feel like that they're possibly going to get exposed. So if you feel like reasonably they're going to start getting exposed, you might want to be the person to expose them first uh, to make sure it's a responsible thing. That would be my take on it personally. Then that's part of what I'm thinking about. We're in Chicago, you know, there's a whole lot of teenagers and young kids out here running around with guns. I remember when my family, we first moved to Harvey, I was eight. And the first day my brothers and I walked around, we saw a banana clip sitting in a puddle. Like, you know, this is just kind of the reality of the situation. You know, Jason brought up uh, briefly last episode, we've had a lot of situations in Chicago of young girls being kidnapped and they're not found. We don't know what's happened to them. I kind of feel like I'm in a a situation where if I stay in Chicago, I have a responsibility to teach her about self-defense and not just scream out if somebody tries to take you, but real self-defense like you might have to actually be able to harm the person that's trying to take 
I literally never held a gun until I was maybe 25 years old. Hadn't even, I, I've seen them. TVs, you know, the, the few little guys and whatnot around my block and whatnot that used to do their gangbang, and I seen them kind of on them and stuff. But never held one, never fired one until I was 25 years old, and I was trying to get my tan card and whatnot for a job. And when I walked in for the training session and they put the little starter joint and whatnot in front of me, I was I was completely afraid because I didn't know anything about them at all. Mm-hmm. I honestly had never ever thought about putting up one or whatever because they kind of scared me in the grand scheme of things because I had no knowledge of them. I had no information about them. And it was just something I never really wanted to learn about anyway because in my mind, I'm like, I don't believe there's ever a situation or what I were, I'm going to take somebody's life. But now that I'm older, I see some definite reasoning behind it. Like you say, your father... He kept the BB guns and the Nerf guns away from me. I remember having that stuff when I was a kid. Y'all have seen my profile picture on Facebook. I have a big, stupid Nerf gun. Every time I buy one, <laughs> I buy one for my kids and whatnot. We run around the house and we shoot Nerf darts at each other all the time. But when it comes to like teaching them self-defense, and that was one of the things that I was always kind of scared about when, when Jada was getting older, just in regards to I know what kind of girl that she was. She was, she was a very caring individual. She was somebody who who cared about other people's feelings. If she saw a kid crying, she'd go over and hug them. Or she'd always ask questions like, why do they feel bad? What's wrong? So that was something that always scared me because I, well, even though I used to tell her, like when she would go to school, that I need her to be able to defend herself and don't let anybody push you around and don't let people pick on you and stuff like that. There was a time where she kind of still, she would let it happen. And she didn't really know how to respond to it because she was caring. She didn't want to hurt anybody. But as she got older and she started realizing what she did, what she was going to take and what she didn't want to take, she, she would come home and tell me, yeah, little boy came and he touched me and I, I took care of it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, how he touched you? Oh, uh, well, he, he, he kind of hit me on the shoulder and I, I gave him one to the chin. And I'm like, that's what's up. <laughs> so... So she don't play. Mm-hmm. Plus, I got a baby or whatnot. I got my daughter is extra heavy handed. So I don't I don't worry about it as much as I used to. I would like to have her learn some self-defense classes so she can just kind of have a, a mind for being able to protect herself in any kind of certain situation. But even at the same time, I, I always teach her that don't go places by yourself. Always have a friend go with you when you're doing something. If you're on a field trip or something like that. Make sure if you're going somewhere, you got your friend with you. Make sure the teacher knows where you're going. Have that teacher follow you. Stay with that teacher. Put yourself in situations where you don't put yourself in a in, in a place where you can be attacked. You know what I mean? Always, always, number one, keep it. You have to be aware of your, your surroundings. Don't just be focused on one thing because, you know, like when she got a cell phone and she got the earbuds and stuff, it was just, I'm in this phone and the earbuds. You can't do that. You can't do that, especially if you're walking home from school, you're walking with your brother or something like that. I need you to be paying attention to what's going on around you. Self-defense doesn't just come with just being able to beat somebody up. It's about teaching them about being aware of themselves and what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's a lot to teach and it's a lot to think about. At some point in time, like, like you say, it, I, I am going to want her to learn how to use a firearm especially when she gets older, when she gets like into college and I'm not around and she's going to right. be kind of just getting to learn the lay of the land. I'm not necessarily planning on putting a gun in a person like that, but <laughs> it depends on where she go to school. One of my big things was that I want my kids to have their childhood. 
You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot out here in this world that rips that away from kids. That was my biggest concern when I had kids. I want y'all to be kids. I don't want y'all to worry about the things that I got to worry about. I want you to have the opportunity to be a kid. You know what I mean? And I feel like once you start introducing that real life into them and stuff like that, it it, it takes away a certain part of their innocence. It takes away a certain part of that experience of just being that kid. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's fine because, you know, as parents, we're supposed to be teaching them to be responsible and how to conduct themselves and how to be able to take care of themselves once they get older and get out the house and they're on their own. But for me, I just feel like like if, if you're going to do it and whatnot, wait till you're a teenager or something like that. That's around the time when they're hitting puberty, they're going into that young adulthood. You know, that's the thing about responsibly teaching them. We're, we're, we're talking about kids who are going out hunting. A lot of these parents aren't teaching them the self-defense aspect. They're teaching them, hey, you, yeah. they're, they're just merely teaching them to point the muzzle of the gun up, you know, just so because it hurts, you mm-hmm. don't want to. You don't want to accidentally hurt anyone else. They're not even discussing self-defense and those issues that we're talking about. This is still fun for those kids. So so I think yeah. there's a responsible and, and, and way that we can teach them where it's not, you know, what I'm most concerned about. If I bring a firearm into this house, what if one of my daughters gets to it? You know, and, and of course, I'm going to try to be as responsible as I can, lock it up in a safe, things like that. But if the worst of the worst happens on accident, you know, what is my child going to do if they see it? And I would hope to start mm-hmm. with, they would know to come get me. So at the very least, there's something where we can start with these kids and have it be, and then just go in stages. But I, I think you can do the fun of it and and not have to do the, go into the, at such a young age, hey, self-defense, if someone breaks in, no, nah, I don't, I don't suggest going into that right quite yet. Because honestly, do I want my five-year-old grabbing anything to to defend against an intruder? Absolutely not. No. no. I speak tight, baby. Now, 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 if you hear somebody walking around downstairs and whatnot, go get daddy's gun and go check to see what happened, okay? If you see somebody down there, if you see somebody down there, you just make sure it's not daddy. Don't shoot daddy, okay? Right, right. Well, you yeah, it. Make sure not. mommy's safe too. Don't don't hit mommy. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, don't shoot mommy in the butt neither. Don't do that. No. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with all of that. My main concern is making sure, as as a father, that I've given her over the years the tools she needs to be able to really be able to protect herself. What about you, Jason? What what's on your mind? I had the last three days off, and we celebrated my wife's birthday. So look at you. I had another opportunity and whatnot to celebrate in the wonderfulness of my wife and my family. We took a trip up to uh, Lake Geneva because it wasn't on the list. So I don't have to, (laughs) I don't have to quarantine for 14 days. I can go ahead and go to work today. You know, we had a good time. Now, the mask. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Only time we didn't wear masks was we was in the pool and every time we was in the pool and the people got close to me, I said, come on, kids, get the hell away from these people. <laughs> so everybody feels all right. Everybody got home safely. Nobody licked any windows or anything like that. And we didn't hug anybody strange. Had a good time and whatnot. And uh, my wife almost got her birthday canceled before we left. Here's the thing about my wife. She is not surprise accepting uh, <laughs> since the day I met her. 
uh, I tried to surprise her by uh, I was I was still living in Vegas with Hudson, and I was getting ready to move back here to be with her. And she didn't know that, and it was it was around her birthday at the time. I believe it was her twenty seventh or twenty eighth birthday. So I was going to surprise her by coming home and showing up at her birthday party. It was going to be at David Buster's downtown. At the time, I had known who one of her friends was. Her name is Kay Griffin. Yes, I put her name out there, and I'm doing it because she she made me mad. <laughs> I. You know, at the time, it was my space going on, and uh, I know that she was one of her friends. So I shot her an email. It's like, man, hey, look, I'm coming back into town. Cynthia don't know. Uh, can can we coordinate and whatnot so I can find out where y'all going to be and what time you're going to get there so I can surprise her, right? Cool email to send. Like, let me send this to her buddy. She'll read it, and she'll help me out, right? No, no, it didn't work out like that at all. She apparently called Cynthia. And told her that I sent her an email. Never opened the email. Mind you. <laughs> Never read it. Did not read the email. Called Your boy trying to holler at me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Get your man. <laughs> this, this was the reasoning that they had. So she calls up and tells her that I sent, uh, I sent her email without opening it. And I get a call like the next day. With Cynthia yelling and snapping at me. Why are you trying to contact my friend? Why are you doing that? I said, Did did the girl did she did she open the email? Did she read it? <laughs> it don't matter. It don't matter. She ain't open no email. Don't be sending my friends no email. <laughs> right there. I should have known. I should have known. I'm a sucker. I'm a, I'm a sucker for it. And I fell, I fell hook, line, and sinker. Ended up in about an hour-long argument because I was at work. When she called me, so I'm moving cases and stuff, and I'm moving rigging, and I'm just snapping on my phone because I got my headphones in. I ended up snapping off and telling her, well, if your your stupid friend would have opened up the email, she would have saw that I was trying to surprise you for your birthday. This has gone on for 13 years. So the exact same thing happened 13 years later. Of course, and then she hit me because I got off work Monday at 11 p.m., got home, and she she woke me up about 3 a.m. asking me what her gifts and stuff was. And I'm like, if you don't get away from me, I'm asleep. And she got attitude and told me that she she wished I wasn't going on vacation with her. And it's the worst birthday ever. Hey, and yo. This and I'm like, oh. <laughs> okay. All right. I had literally already I had called the hotel. I had set them up to, to decorate the room. I I had flowers delivered to the hotel and whatnot. I had uh, a dinner set up for her at this pier and whatnot over there in Lake Geneva, like right off the pier. Y'all saw the pictures on Facebook. It, it was a beautiful scene. It was a wonderful dinner. We ate real good. It was great. Got a, I actually woke up that morning after she snapped off at me at 3 a.m., took the kids out and whatnot and got their gifts and whatnot for her and whatnot, brought them back to her. She had her gifts and everything in the morning, got her cards and all the other good stuff. And uh, when we got back home, I hit her with the surprise gift with the ice maker. Because she likes to chew ice and she spends hundreds of dollars on ice and jewel. So I just said, okay, let me buy you an ice maker so you can stop spending my money on ice. Because it's water that's frozen and this doesn't make any sense to spend money on. (laughs) Agree. So, after all that, 
I told her to begin, that I gave her a gift that morning. What I told her is that I'm expecting an apology by the time we get home. And I still haven't gotten it yet. She tried to give it to me there. I said, no, 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 no. You're not going to give it to me in the middle of this. You're going to give it to me at the end. Because I want you to see everything that I've had planned for you for, the, for two days straight. And when we get back here, I want my apology. So I, th- this is my life. And I just wanted to share that with everyone. I think you've got to be prepared, buddy, for the cost of surprises that's all you just have to pay a little bit more of a cost for the surprise than some of the rest of us do (laughs) i'm I'm glad that i've gotten older i appreciate my old age because i just don't argue no more i just look at it when she yell at me and i say okay all right for me samantha likes surprises but they have to be a certain level of quality we went to uh, (laughs) grand cafe downtown and I saw pictures of the restaurant. I was like, oh, it looks great. You got to take an escalator to get up to it. They got all these marble floors and great decorum. This is going to be a really nice romantic dinner. And we got there, and I was like, oh, she's going to love this. And we sit down, and as soon as I look at her, I can tell she's completely unimpressed. <laughs> she's like, you uncultured swine. You think I haven't seen marble floors before? What is this? Right, right. Old face says, yeah, whatever. And we get the menu, and I'm like, oh, this is a new restaurant. I've never eaten here before. Let's figure it out. Let's get something new. And she's just looking at it and looking at me, looking at it and then looking back at me. And I was like, oh, this whole night's going to be like that, huh? You were so impressed with yourself. Right, right. So it can be difficult sometimes figuring out what she's going to enjoy, but I do get a real thrill out of surprising my wife with something that she really, really loves and appreciates. Well, I appreciate all of you uh, sharing your stories, brothers. Next up is the Black Business Showcase, where every week we highlight a Black business. We want to help connect supporters with Black enterprises. So if you know of a great Black-owned business or business that isn't Black-owned, but provides a fantastic service to the Black community, please reach out and let us know. We would love to help get them some exposure. This week, we are highlighting Sam and Sam Travel. My wife and I started this business because we have a passion for traveling and for helping other people travel. We have been to Dubai, Paris, Mexico, Rome, Abu Dhabi, Canada, and all across the United States. Helping other people take time for themselves to have similar experiences brings us a great deal of joy. We both have our clear cards and our certified Disney travel agents. Once this COVID period has passed and medical professionals signal that leisure travel is safe again, we would love to help you book your next trip. For those who are interested, we also enjoy teaching people how to start their own travel businesses. It is very simple and does not require a large investment of capital. You can reach us through our Sam and Sam Travel Facebook page, website, or email us at samandsamtravel at gmail.com. Sam and Sam Travel, we love to see you go. Let's move into what's new in your world. And Hudson Meadows, I know you had some things you wanted to talk about. Please go ahead and kick us off. What's new in my world? Well, I just turned 40. So uh, just a little bit ago, probably about a week ago from this record, and I turned 40 years old. 
right? That's that's a big age. Um, I avoided associating myself with the big 4-0 all the way up until my actual birthday. And and all while I was 39, my wife would say, hey, you can't eat that. You're, you're 40 now. And and I would say, I'm, I'm not 40. I'm 39. You know, I couldn't tell you how many times I said that over the past year. I am 39. And, and the difference, of course, is mental more than physical. I mean, physically, I feel no different today than I felt a month ago. But, you know, like I said, it's a huge age. And I, I guess it's a time for reflection for some and for others. It, it, it's like a midlife crisis. And I guess you can lean me more toward the midlife crisis part. And if you look up midlife crisis, it's defined as an emotional crisis of identity and self-confidence that can occur in early middle age. Well, I would say I, I made it to midlife crisis probably when that COVID-19 pandemic hit. Myself, along with billions of other human beings across the world, watched with helplessness as, as news outlets kept reporting on the madness that was going on in China. And I was hoping and praying that whatever was going on across the world would not come over here. And then it did. So then the hopes and prayers went to, well, maybe they can contain this thing at the shores. Maybe it won't get past those ocean states. Then it did. So maybe if they lock down the region, it won't get out. But then it got out. Now, fast forward a little bit. And now we're like, hey, there's no way we'll get as many cases as China or Italy. Then we got more cases than China and Italy. Okay, it's got to stop when the warm weather hits, right? Because it's like the flu, right? Well, now we sit at well over 3 million cases with, with many scientists claiming we're not even out of the first wave yet. I've been taught my whole life that if you work hard, everything will be okay. Well, I've done that. And the only thing hard work has gotten me over the years is more hard work. And now after all these years, I come to find out that everything might not be okay. Schools may not open this year. Uh, or what's even worse, they might open too soon. I work in an industry that possibly won't fully get back on its feet until 2022. And that's if the medical community can get a handle on this thing by the middle of the next year. You know, I have to worry every time I leave the house or if someone comes over. And I know by far that I'm not alone. And I acknowledge my many blessings that I do have. A wonderful, loving, and supportive wife, beautiful children, and a great support system. But with all that, it doesn't mean the road ahead will be an easy one, as uh, midlife crises tend to be based on irrational feelings. And when I combine those irrational feelings with COVID-19, then what you have here would, would need to be described as something ranging in the form of catastrophic. But how irrational are those fears? I mean, what have I really done with my first 40 years of life? If I'm to be completely honest with myself, nothing. At least nothing worth noting to the world that distinguishes me from anyone else. I didn't cure cancer. I didn't argue any cases in front of the Supreme Court. I haven't run a marathon. I haven't climbed a mountain. And certainly nothing I've done in, in the first 40 years suggests that I'm going to do anything with my next 40. Now, with those kind of thoughts, it's easy to see how men my age can start to fall under the weight of their own insecurities. 
And add to that, COVID has come along and taken all that hard work I've been doing for close to 25 years and wiped it out. And it's a reminder of how shaky the ground we walk on is in what's supposed to be the land of opportunity. The land of opportunity. You know, I used to hear that a lot. I haven't heard that in a while. When's the last time you heard it? So after I just depressed the hell out of you, you might be asking, so what are we supposed to do? If I had the answer to that, I probably would not have wasted the first 40 years. The only thing I do know is that I have to do something different with these next 40. And if you become a loyal listener to this podcast, you'll be able to journey along with me on this ride. And I want you all to know this is not some pity party. I don't want any of you feeling sorry for me, because if you remember, I told you I have a wonderful life and a loving family that I wouldn't trade for the world. This is not about the life I have. It's about what I'm going to leave behind. I don't have answers, but sometimes it just helps to know you're not alone. Anyway, that's my time. Thanks for listening. Peace, grits, and potato chips. Peace out. Awesome. Thank you, Hudson. I definitely agree that there's a lot of brothers out there who are wrestling with the same feelings and emotions. So thank you for sharing that. We've seen multiple stories in the last few years in the media of Black men putting down Black women, saying that Black women are unattractive and saying that they would uh, not marry a Black woman or want to be in a committed relationship with a Black woman. Not to mention the brothers who don't say anything directly negative, but it is clear in their uh, dating choices or their marital choices that they do not value Black women. And so we really wanted to try to take an opportunity to dig into this subject and try to figure out why that is the case. Uh, Let me first bring up a couple of examples of this. Kyle, and I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, Quero, uh, recently made some comments regarding Jill Scott, wondering how people could possibly be attracted to Jill Scott. 50 Cent uh, made comments about Black women, essentially saying that they're angry and that he uh, wants a more exotic woman. And I feel like they use use exotic really as the cover to say non-Black because it's never a black woman who's exotic. They ain't getting women from Africa or anything like that. Um, And then, of course, famously, Kodak Black made it clear that he does not date or find black women attractive. And there are way more examples than this that we can list, but that's just a few of famous, prominent uh, black men who have gone on the record saying they don't really have much respect for black women. Also, I think it was very interesting to note we recently had the NFL draft that was online and you got to see all these young black males who are about to enter the next level of their careers and hopefully reach a higher level of financial success. None of them were dating black women. They all had their girlfriends uh, with them and they were all either white or exotic (laughs) as 50 Cent would say. So I want to kind of dig into this and try to find out why is it that not just black men, but a lot of uh, prominent black men who reach a certain level of success feel like black women really don't have a place by their side and that 
it makes more sense for them to date either a white woman or at the very least a light-skinned uh, woman. And Hudson, do you want to kick this off? It really boils down to is that our legacy in, in this country as black people is defined by pain, is defined by slavery. So I think on a deep level, when we look at each other and we look at ourselves on a deep level, we see pain. You know, we don't know how to handle it. We want to get away from it. And I think you see a whole lot of athletes who they got successful and they left the hood and never went back. Right. They, they bought giant houses for their mama and, and put her in a giant house somewhere. But they hardly come back to the hood. So many people have never reinvested back in their hood. They might do a few little philanthropic things, but other than that, there's no real investment in where they grew up. These athletes were recruited to, let's just call it what it is, they were recruited to big-time white schools. You know, and, and so who did we expect them to meet? To them, a lot of these guys, a white woman is exotic. I tell people all the time, I did not really encounter white people until I got to high school because I went to a very culturally diverse high school. But had I went to my neighborhood high school, the high school where most of my friends at the time went to, it still would have been a long time before I really had any real interaction with the white person. So it's all going to come back down to it's pain. They want to get away from it. And they think by getting away from black people, because I don't think it's just women. I think it's black people in general. They want to get away from, and they just want to, they want to feel good is basically what it comes down to. And they don't think they can do that with our people. From what I mostly see, or at least uh, what, what seems to be expressed in most of these black entertainers, athletes, these people who have these comments about sisters is just kind of like, it always turns out to be the attitude. You know what I mean? It's, it's always this argument of, you know, this woman and whatnot, she, she yells, she screams, they argue, they, they get on people's nerves, they, they're all bolsterous and all this other stuff like this. It's always these comments about a black woman's attitude. To put it out there as if black women all in general are these, which, I, what, what was, what's my man's name? Uh, Patrick Patterson. Yeah, this this food. Oh yeah, I forgot what not to basically call them bulldogs. <laughs> yeah, so you know, just 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 having a kind of opinion, or just a reaction to just to, to put out a blank statement about that about black women and whatnot is, I feel like, I feel like one either you're weak, or maybe you were just too weak to deal with someone with such an overwhelming personality. Or maybe you grew up in a household where somebody was like that and you just couldn't handle it. And maybe you were just a little too sensitive. Or maybe it's just the fact that you want somebody to be submissive and you want somebody to follow your directions and, you know, whatever the case may be. But it kind of just, I feel like it breaks down to whoever you are. If, if you choose, if you choose to just say, Hey, and this is something I'd rather you just say and everything else you could just shut up about. I love who I love. Just just make the statement. You ain't got to go in judging and talking about no sister and whatnot because you don't know anything. You just don't. You don't know what anybody's been through. You don't know what a woman is going through. You don't know how they've lived their lives. They, everybody at some point in time has gone through something that makes them the way they are. And sisters in particular have gone through a long history 
a long history of disrespect, of, of violence, physically and mentally. And just for the fact that the majority of them can stand strong enough to take care of their babies after somebody either left them alone to do it, and because they have an attitude or because they can become a little bit more aggressive than they normally would, they, you don't know what they've been through. So to make blanket statements about black women and having these attitudes and being bulldogs, I think you should just shut up in the grand scheme of things. Because unless you've met every last one of them and you know what they've all been through, then maybe your opinion doesn't really matter, especially if you're not making anything better by calling them names and furthering the disrespect. And if somebody asks you, hey, why would you why would you date this white woman as opposed to dating a black woman? I love her. Just, that's all you need to say. You don't, you don't need to go into no explanation. Why are you explaining why you're doing anything anyway? If we're talking about athletes in the grand scheme of things, literally a badge of honor for a black athlete to have a white woman because either this white woman is going to further their career in some shape, form, or fashion because they all seem to have that plan. They, they all. They, I remember when I went on my visit to Eastern Illinois, and they sent several white cheerleaders at me, and they all seem to have plans. <laughs> okay, they seem to have plans. You seem like you, you you're black. Uh, you're you you're highly touted. Uh, you seem to have what it's going to take to get to the next level. Let me help you get there. That white woman is going to project you to that next level. But apparently a black woman can't do that. Jason, you bring up a really interesting point about a white woman being able to elevate to the next level. And I think what we have to note in that is a black woman allowed to travel in the circles that the white woman is allowed to travel in. You know, that's something else to consider. Now, we got all these athletes now that are saying they're going to go to HBCUs. So now what's going to happen is now you're going to start seeing in four years, you're going to start seeing some more black girlfriends at these events. Now, are they allowed to travel in those same circles and talk to those same people to help push push their, their man alone? That is a very interesting point. You know, that when we talk about systemic racism and systemic oppression, it is designed so that you do have to have a, a white person in some way on your arm to make sure you get all the way ahead. That's something we got to break through. Kodak Black mentioned when he made the comments about black women that part of his issue with them was not just whether or not they're attractive, but he said they're too strong. And he wanted a woman that he would be able to break down. Yeah. And so uh, I feel like it's definitely a part of it that these people, they don't want, they don't want partners. They want slaves. <laughs> and it's, they find it more difficult to find black women who are open to uh, being slaves. Yeah. And I want to make it clear. The problem isn't really with their choice. You know, you want to be with a white woman or what you consider exotic, what you consider attractive. That's fine. We all have to make a personal decision about who we want to spend the rest of our lives with. The problem is they're using their platform Tell other black men and whoever else will listen that black women are unattractive, that black women are angry, that black women are too strong, and that therefore you should not really associate yourself with other black women. It's going to make you look bad. That is the issue. There are areas where white women are able to go indoors that they've been able to open historically that maybe black women are not able to do. And therefore, we have to be willing to make a sacrifice 
to start opening those doors and creating platforms so that future generations can have a black woman at their side and have all the same opportunities that everyone else would have. I mean, it's the modern day slave pass where, you know, you couldn't travel around without a note from your master. You know, it's it's the modern day, you're not a good part of society unless you have a white person who is able to, who is able to uh, connect you to that part of the world. That's what we're talking about here. But I think there's another level to this as well. We talk more about these guys who are picking these women because of what they can do for their careers. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also an issue with internalized colorism, where it's been hammered into you for years growing up that dark is ugly and that black is ugly. And the lighter that you can get, the better it is for you. And so I feel like a lot of these guys um, pick the women that they do, not because they believe they can do anything for their careers. Because if you look at, at a lot of these music videos, you know, they're picking up these girls who are broke, who have uh, nothing going on. They're not able to really do anything for these guys, but they're putting them right at the front of their music videos because it is that light-skinned, exotic, non-black look that they believe is the epitome of attractiveness. So question, mm -hmm. do you believe that right now at a large, broad scale, black women are either too angry or too aggressive? It's, it's just like a brother. Literally, they, they telling black men, hey, you know, if the cops pull you over, you need to be submissive. You need to do what they tell you. If, if ain't nothing going on, if you ain't doing nothing, then you shouldn't have a problem with them, you know, patting you down and searching your car and just, you know, saying, just taking away all your rights. You should, you should be okay with that if you ain't did nothing wrong. It's, you're basically saying the same thing to a black woman. If, if you can just quiet down a little bit, if you could be a little less aggressive, if you could just do what I tell you to do, then you'll be just fine. How do you tell somebody that? How you how do you expect someone to to submit to that when they've been through so much? Why does a woman have to demure herself in order to be accepted? If she works hard and she proves that she can handle the things that she's handling and that she can be successful, then why isn't that enough? I think they do something differently when you treat them differently. I think that's how it goes. I, I don't think you get different by doing the same things you've been doing before 100 years. No, change. Change how you talk to them, and then maybe you'll get a different reaction. That's how the world works. So no, there's nothing that they should do any different than what they're doing. And let me say this too. Uh, it might sound like pandering. It might sound like I'm just, I'm just on, I'm trying to jump up and make it sound like I'm on something. But I tell you what, with all that they've been through, I, I know we as a people been through a lot, but when it comes to sisters, when it comes to black women, just just the things that they've been through mentally, physically, just just the way they're treated, the way they're talked about on a regular basis, the way the they they're literally being told that they're animals half the time. I've never seen anybody come out as graceful. It doesn't it it, it astounds me sometimes to see the beauty in black women. Whether they yell or whether they mess around and they they throw their head back and they keep it pushing, man, it's it's a, it's beautiful. I'm I'm just glad that I got two black women in my house and I look forward to seeing my daughter brush off that mess and whatnot just like that. Call me a bulldog. Kick kick rocks, fool.
and watch her push on to become something more than you ever could be. We have to take a serious, authentic look at why this keeps occurring. This is not really a new phenomenon because there's so much more social media and everything's on video and it's easy to see everything. Maybe it's become a lot more prominent, but this idea that black men get successful, get famous, get rich, and then do not date other black women is not new. And I think the question has to be asked, why do we keep producing black men who think and feel this way? One obvious answer is the lack of black fathers in the household, because these black men should be there to teach these young brothers how to treat women, how to deal with women, right? Because a lot of these guys, they just don't respect women, period. When Kodak Black says, these women are too strong, I want a woman I can break. You know, that's disrespectful towards black women, but really it's disrespectful towards all women because he's saying, if I can't break you, I don't want anything to do with you, (laughs) which shows that I don't see you as a real person. So who's telling these brothers how to actually interact with women and deal with them? Why is it that black women are raising these black men to not respect black women? When you look at what's happening in our communities right now, And how these boys are coming up, they're coming up in single parent households. They're going to schools where the majority of teachers are women. Most of their role models, let's be honest, are women. The amount of uh, uh, solid, stable black men who present themselves as role models in our community, it's few and far between. So really, these black men are coming up with the majority of their major influences being black women. I do agree with Jason where once it becomes clear that other people can get something out of them, where if you're an athlete or someone of that sort and you go to a college, there's definitely a push to try to to try to uh, push you towards a different culture and say, you know, you should be dating this white woman and you should be running in these circles and this is how you're really going to get ahead. I get all that. But 18 years before that that young brother got to college. The majority of his influences were black women. And he did not respect black women before he got to college. (laughs) And so I feel like question needs to be asked, why is that? How can you come up through a system where most of the people who are taking care of you and are raising you and are influencing you and are standing up for you are black women? And yet at the same time, you have very little respect for black women and definitely don't feel like that's the kind of person you should be dating or marrying. And I don't feel like we've really dealt with that as a culture. You know, I'm going to say this real quick on that because I think it's a huge topic that we can discuss in depth on another, on another show. But I'm just going to briefly mention that we have to step away from, from glorifying the single parent household. I think we've glorified it. And I think to a certain extent, when you see when you see uh, 18 years of a of a single mother it, we have to start considering does it look like it's anti black man you know now that i'm not saying that's the true case but does it start looking like that and and i and i think we have to as a society we as a as a as a culture here we have to stop accepting the single parent household whether it's a single father raising them whether it's a single mother it takes both and we have to come up with creative ways of 
even if we're separated or divorced, that we have to have the other parent can't be a part-time parent and see the child one one to, to two times every other week. We, we, we have to get away from that and we have to say stand up and say, we need our black men and our black women to be in our kids' lives on a regular basis. Whether whatever money is involved, wherever the courts are involved, we need to make sure that both parents are there and it's a unified front. That's all I'm gonna say on it because I think we can really dive deep into it, but we have to stop accepting and glorifying the single parent household. Okay, that's a topic we could potentially have. So I got one last question. All three of us are married to black women. I'd like each of you to speak on why you made that choice. Did you consciously want a black woman? Did she just so happen to be black? And kind of reflect on your decision a little bit. Do you feel like your marriage is somehow different, specifically because you are married to a black woman? I don't even really think it was a real thought behind it. I I, I love black women. <laughs> I've had my experiences and I've had relationships with women outside of black women and stuff, but I always knew that I was going to marry a black woman because I, I just, I love black women. I love the way they look. I love their style. I love their attitudes. I love, I love everything about them. And when I met my wife, it wasn't even kind of like a black thing. It was just when I saw, I saw the biggest smile on her face. And I was like, ooh, I want to get to know her. I'm happy with what I have, and I'm I'm happy that we've been building the life that we've been building. Hudson, how do you feel? Personally, I, I don't think race came into the decision at all. Maybe there was something subconscious there, but I love my woman. And, and I, I was never, uh, especially when I went to high school and, and, and went to a high school that was very culturally diverse, I never closed myself off. To, uh, to other races. And in fact, I, I embraced it because it, it was it was new to me. I don't want to make it seem like I looked at everyone as a novelty, but I, I never closed myself off to, to anyone else. Uh, so when I met my wife, it was, wow, this is, this is a woman I see myself with. And I was very young at that point. So it, it scared the heck out of me at the time that I was even thinking thoughts like that, you know, at, at, like, at like 19. But um, but I knew, and, and, and not once did I say, Hey, she's a black woman. Not once was that a reason for me that I said that that's why I want to be with her. You know, it was just who she was. When I was a kid, it was hammered into my head. You must marry a black woman. My mother was absolutely sick to her stomach of seeing all these successful brothers marrying white women. And she was disgusted at the idea of her son being one of those people. And I was homeschooled as a child. I was I was shut in a lot of times. So I didn't have much exposure to white women. So the only white women I saw were the ones on TV. And I never found myself attracted to them because I'm not I'm not attracted to the women who are are really thin. And that's most of what I would see on TV. So I never worried about it. Like, oh, it's gonna be easy for me to marry a black woman because clearly these other women are unattractive. But then I actually got out to to the world, went to college and started meeting women of all sorts of different cultures. And I had to make a decision. Okay, uh, clearly, I like women across the spectrum 
And my mother is just going to have to deal with that. So I was prepared to have that conversation with her. Like, Ma, I'm going to introduce this girl to you. You're going to be nice because this is someone I love. And you want to be able to see your grandchildren. So be easy. Be cool. (laughs) But uh, you all know I met my wife when I was 16 years old in college. And I made the decision right when I saw her, this is someone I want to have in my life. It was pretty much immediate. And we have been together off and on ever since that time. I didn't think about it in terms of her being Black. What really attracted me to Samantha was her intelligence. From the moment I started talking with her, she came across as someone to me who had a real vision for what she wanted her life to be. She had some clear laid out goals and some things that she was determined to do. And she was not going to allow anybody to stand in the way of her being able to do those things. And I found that to be very, very attractive. There was a second part to that question. I I think you all might've skipped over. Do you feel like being married to a black woman has made your marriage at all different? I think one advantage of being married to a black woman is that she shares my, my passion for wanting to be a part of the community, improve the community, do things to try to help Black people that a woman who was not from the Black community may or may not feel equally passionate about. You know, like we had we had a real discussion when Simone was born about whether or not we were going to stay in Chicago. I live on the west side. I live in a very violent area. We have the resources to live wherever we want. And so the question became, do we stay in this place where sometimes we're hearing gunshots? Sometimes we're, you know, Simone is walking with us and she's exposed to people who are very, who can be very violent, who can be very dangerous. And do we have a responsibility to move to a different area so that she is not exposed to these types of elements? A woman who didn't come from the black community might have been very, very strong of the mindset of we need to move up out of here. We need to go to the suburbs. We need to go somewhere where I can, where we can be absolutely as sure as possible that she's going to be in a safe, comforting environment. But I think the fact that both of us feel like, as Black people, we need to stick together. We need to be investing in our communities. We need to be standing up for our communities and trying to make them better, not abandoning them. I, I feel like that has had a positive impact on my on my marriage because of my own p- political sensibilities and where I stand. Definitely had an impact, absolutely. Um, you know, j- just to keep it simple, uh, I like that I can I can uh, I can tell my woman that hey, you know, I don't walk into stores with my hands in my pocket, you know, and she understands totally why. You know, she gets it. She understands it. I think on a level that that uh, no one else is going to understand. So I think to that to that perspective, we can understand each other a lot and understand where we come from on a lot of different issues. All right, everyone. I want to thank you for joining us here at the SJH Man Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. I'd like to give a special thanks to Sam and Sam Travel for becoming a part of our family. If you think you can use their services, make sure to contact them at samandsamtravel at gmail.com. Let's support our Black businesses, y'all.
Once again, if you are a black business owner and would like to get featured as our business of the week, please make sure to send an email to info at sjhmancave.com. Any of our listeners can also get a hold of us there as well. Remember that you can see this and other videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family. I would like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Samori, signing off.